Well, welcome to the Arctic Circle. Or maybe I should say that to myself. Getting back just yesterday, I tell you what, what a rude awakening. Leave 95 degree weather, perfectly good 95 degree weather to come to this. I don't know what's, what's better, the heat or the, or the cold. I'll tell you a story about um, a paper article, an article, a story that ran in the Chicago Tribune written by Mike Royko. The story is of uh, a Bill Malroy who traveled to India. And he traveled to India in, in, in search of the purpose of life. He wanted to figure out what the purpose of life was, and he knew he wasn't going to find it in the box of America. So he decided to go outside that box and to explore and to study and to maybe figure it out, maybe on another continent, another land, another religion or another faith or, or something like that. And, and as he was traveling, he came back just as empty as when he left and just as full of questions as maybe even more questions than, than when he left and he came across a, a gas station filling up his car, Chevron gas station. The, the, the motto on the sign said, as you travel, ask us. As you travel, ask us. So, I mean, in, in this, this is in the paper, so it's got to be true. You know, everything in the paper is true. So, uh, so he asked the, 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 the gas station attendant, he said, okay, I have a question for you. And this little pimple-faced teenage boy who's pumping his car, he, he asked him, he says, what is the purpose of life? He didn't know, so he went and asked the manager. He said, this guy's asking me a question out there. I don't know what the answer is. He says, what's the purpose of life? So the manager pulls off the, the manager's manual off the shelf to see if there's any questions about that. Or how, do, how do you answer that, that kind of question whenever a customer comes up? And he didn't have an answer, so he goes on to another Chevron station and another Chevron station. And finally, it kind of the word gets back to corporate office that this man, his name is Bill Malaroy, he's coming around and he's asking the question, what is the purpose of life? And so he receives in the mail a letter from the, from the corporate office, from Chevron Customer Relations. And it says, we understand you've been asking the dealers, our, 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 our companies, the question that you're getting an unsatisfactory response. We want to help you to answer your question. Would you please put in, into writing what your question is? So he writes this letter to them. And it's real short and sweet. It says, what's the purpose of life? And he got, a, he got a response back from the corporate office. But it wasn't what he was expecting. He got a credit card application back. That was the response from the corporate level. So what is the purpose of life? Don't ask Chevron is the moral of this story. Uh, and I don't, there's a lot of people out there that I think are wandering around through life trying to figure out what life is really all about. And we're going to begin a journey here. For, it's going to take us for five months. Now, that sounds arduous, that sounds laboring, and I pray that it is not. But I really, really believe that we need to dive into something here that is foundational and fundamental to life. That as we journey for, for, for five months through different topics and different pillars of, of understanding, that I really think that we can establish what is that purpose of life and really kind of move forward in our lives and not wander around like Bill going from gas station to gas station, continent to continent, trying to figure it all out. We'll save a lot more money. We'll have a lot fewer headaches in the process of trying to figure out what the purpose of life is. And I don't think any corporation is going to, Walmart's not going to help you figure out what the purpose of life is. Tyson's isn't going to try to, the school system, the government, that's not what they're about trying to help you figure out what the purpose of life is. 
And so that's going to be a far deeper question, one that I think is going to take us deeper into the Word. Here's a verse that I want us to read together in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I think it kind of begins to be the key that unlocks it. You, God, created everything, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Would you read that with me? You, God, created everything, and it's for your pleasure that they exist and were created. If we can understand that verse and begin to live that verse a little deeper in our lives, to understand that it was created by Him, He made it all, and that in the midst of Him making it, He actually had a purpose for it. I breathe with a purpose. I get out of bed with a purpose. I live with a purpose. I don't just merely exist. That I literally exist for His pleasure. That if there's anything in life that I need to try to figure out, it's everything that I can do to make God happy, to bring pleasure to Him, enjoyment to Him. And if I can get on that track in life, again, I might find the joy and the contentment that God wired us for because He created us, and as He created us, He created us to be pleasure givers to Him. You think that's awful self-centered of God, but you know what? When you're God, you can do those kind of things. You don't like it, take it up with God in eternity. Because that's really what it's about. It's not about us. We think sometimes this world revolves around us. We tell our kids that, but somehow we don't grow out of that as we grow up. We somehow continue to live in that mode. We find jobs for us. We find homes to please us. We buy cars to to set us apart. We we find clothes that, that speak of us. But is it really about us? Or is it about bringing pleasure to the one who created us? Here's a fact of life for you. My life is for God's pleasure. As you think about that, think about why do we have children? We have children. You you think about God being the creator of, of, of it all. We have children not because we want a tax deduction. Well, if you, if you did have children for that, you got ripped off because it, the tax deduction doesn't weigh in. Okay, it costs more. Okay, you, you don't have children because you want a tax deduction. You don't have children because you want to populate the earth. Okay, you don't have, you don't ask a mother, did you have children because you enjoy pain? No. That's not why we have children. We have children so that we can enjoy them and love them and nourish them. Isn't that right, parents? You love your children. You love to see them grow up. Just this morning, Lori and I were, again, facing that realization that next year we're having a senior in high school. In a year and a half, we're going to have one out of the nest. And, y'all, no, we're not rejoicing over that. There are times that we do that, but not, not, not this morning. It was one of those times that we were going, gosh, you want to live in that moment because you, 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 you brought her into this world because you love her and you love to see her flourish and you love to see all of them flourish and become something great. You know what? God created us for the same. He created us for His pleasure. So He wants to see things in us and our purpose in life is to bring God pleasure. Take your Bibles and be finding the book of Mark, chapter 12. Well. We're going to look at a passage. It's very familiar. It's really kind of one of the, the, one of the pillars of our church. It's the great commandment. And in this great commandment, it's a situation where Jesus, as you know, constantly had these rubs. 
he had these rubs with these scribes and the Pharisees. And as he had these rubs, they, they had this issue because Jesus was kind of countercultural. He was certainly countercultural to the religious circles. I mean, the far religious right, Jesus was absolutely opposed to. They had taken Moses' laws, and they had created about 613 of their own laws on top of his. They would kind of interpreted them, and they created laws, and most of those, 365 of those, were actually negative laws. You can't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And a 200-something of those were actually positive. You can do this. But most of them were negative, so it creates this kind of negative vibe inside the religious circles. That's what happens in legalism today. It happens still today. We kind of have God's law, and then we create laws on top of God's law to interpret God's law, and then it's all this do, 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 don't, 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 stuff. And so they had this kind of rub with them. And so finally, out for 613 laws, they come to Jesus, and one scribe comes to Jesus and asks Jesus a question. Out of all of these laws... He's an amazing teacher. He impresses them. He, he's, he's captivating Jesus. So he comes and he says, what is the most important law on the books that we need to hold on to? And, and in Mark chapter 12, this is how it goes, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing what he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment? is the most important of all. And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second, you didn't ask for the second, but I'm going to give you the second one. The second one is this, that you will, shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other commandment greater than these. This is to, you want to sum it all up, this is the great commandment. This is what our church is built on. We talk about having a great commitment to the great commandment. Because we believe if we can live out the great commandment, then we are on our way to fulfilling and living in pleasure giving to God, which is what we are to be about, is bringing pleasure to God. And we are in this love relationship with God that we must understand that He's calling us to love Him. And if I could tell you one thing about what love looks like, and if I could put loving God in, in just one word, I would call it worship. Worship is that, is, that, is that word that kind of encapsulates what we're to be about. Worship is ascribing honor to someone. And so we must, we are called, we, God wants us to love Him And we should love Him, and how we love Him is by bringing pleasure to Him. When we please God, as we please God, we are worshiping God. So if you have a room in your notes, write it down like this. To love is to please. To please is to love. To love is to please. To please is to love. The number one thing we got to do is love God. And when we love God, we will want to please God. And when we please God, we are actually ascribing honor to Him. That's worship. Do you love Him? Do you please Him? Do you worship Him? Not did you come to a worship service, a worship gathering, but are you in absolute love with God? Well, then look at your life. Are you pleasing Him? Then we can say you're worshiping Him. The number one purpose in life is to worship God. This is what it says in Romans 12.1. It says, Because of God's great mercy to us, 
Offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, dedicated to His service, pleasing to Him. You see it in there? Pleasing to Him. This is the true worship that you should offer. This is what it means to honor and worship God. Here's a couple things to jot down. Worship is my response to God's love. Because He loved me. He says, because of His great mercies. Because Jesus initiated a love relationship with me. Because Jesus stepped out of time, out of eternity into time. He started something here. Beautiful and eternal. That's to go on forever. And it is because of His great mercy. He first loved us. We've got we to get that down. The second not, thing to note is that worship is giving back to God. So it's because of His great love that then I need to return my love to Him. He says it twice there. Offer, offer. Back there in that Romans 12, one passage. Offer yourselves. Offer yourselves up to God. Give yourselves to Him. If you walk in here today and you walk out of here today, sometimes if you're first time with us or you're visiting from out of town, you tend to go into this church shopping mode. You go, did I like the worship? Did I like the singing? I didn't like the singing. I like the song. I didn't like the song. I like the message. I didn't like the message. I connect with that. I like this. I didn't like that. We get into this consumer shopping mode. And even as a member, we go home and we critique. Did we like that? Did we not like that? And really we're asking the wrong question. It's really not did I like it. It was God pleased with it. Did God find honor in it? Was God pleased with that? Was God pleased with me? Am I bringing my worship to Him? Is He pleased with my worship? What we do, listen, what we do every week, all we can do is create an environment. Create an environment and invite you to come into that environment and invite you to bring your worship in that environment. But it is your worship, it's not my worship. It's not this band's worship. It is you as we create an environment that you can bring your worship to God. Is that the kind of way you approach each and every Sunday? Mark 12:30 says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength." That pretty much covers everything. We got to love him passionately. That's through affections. We love him through our we love him passionately. That's a, it speaks of an affection. We love him thoughtfully. That speaks of our attention. We love Him practically. That speaks of our abilities. To love God is to please God. To please God is to worship God. Are you pleasing God? Are you loving God? Is He seeing it? Is He feeling it? Is He sensing it in your life? It's through your attention. It's through your affections. It's through your abilities. I'm afraid today that many times we've missed worship or we've messed up worship. We've made it about what I get out of it and not what I bring to it. We love the act of worship. We love the activity of worship. We've made, we've made even have made worship an idol to where it's about the song. It, it, it's about the message. It's not. It's about your life and my life pleasing to God. I'll tell you about a man named Matt Redmond. Many of y'all have heard this story before, but please allow me just to go into it again, just to remind you. 
Pat Redman, a very experienced, very accomplished musician, a songwriter, an artist, a worship pastor in England. Was was worship pastor of Soul Survivor Church in Waterford, England. Whenever as a worship pastor and all of the fame and all the fortune and all of the advancement and all the accomplishments as a worship pastor, found in the midst of that he loved the activity of worship and he had lost worship. He had lost the value of worshiping in midst of all the activity. So for six months, not intentionally, not not planning six months, I don't believe, but for a period of time, he pulls worship. He pulls singing. Singing is gone. And here's a musician who sings, and singing is now gone from the worship. This is in fall of 1996. He pulls it from the scene. And... Through the midst of that, it was a purifying and cleansing process for him because he realized in that that he had become an idolizer of worship activity and not worship. My question to you today is are you idolizing worship? Do you even know what worship is? Is your life pleasing to God? Because if you love God, you'll please God. Please, God, you're worshiping God. It's not the song. It's not even the message. It's what we bring to Him. It's it's Him. And it's somehow in our lives getting past all this stuff and the activity. It's not about the lights. It's not about the set. It's not about what I get out of it. It's about Him. And it's about learning to love Him and to bring pleasure to Him. Three actions, at least, that are mentioned in this passage of Scripture for us to look at. Jot them down real quickly. That we need to understand about worship. And I, and I really realize I'm, I'm talking to the choir today because I'm talking to what I see across the room today are a lot of church members, churchgoers, regulars. But please, if we can disconnect a little bit from what we have become almost callous to, the routine of a worship service, the routine of a song set and a message and an offering and a response time, and then we go out the door. If we can get past that and, and just somehow get lost in the beauty and the, and, the, and the majesty of loving Jesus, of absolutely falling madly in love with Jesus. And what does that look like? Because he says the number one thing on earth to live out your life is to love me. To love me. Don't just love me with your words. Love me with with your soul. Love me with your heart. Love me with your mind. Love me with your strength. And how does that live out in our life? One is I think we worship God by expressing our affection to God. He tells us right off the bat, he says, I want you to love me. I want you to love me with your heart and with your soul. This affectionate, emotional love is what there needs to be. Is is there a passion in my heart? Is Is there a bubbling in my spirit? When he talks about the soul, he talks about the heart. It's actually the Greek word suke, which is where we get our word psychology from. He says the soul of who you are, the very essence, the very core of who you are, but it's also in the core, in the psyche, in the suke of us that our emotional being exists. 
Are you emotionally and passionately in love with Christ? And I realize that we want to fight against emotions. The charismatic movement caused those in the evangelical movement to run from emotions in fear of emotionalism. And I would agree that emotionalism is a weak, shallow, kind of flimsy kind of faith to build your life on. But to actually exnay and get rid of emotions is wrong. It's part of who we are. It's the spring that is deep inside of us that, that, that comes out of us in, in an emotional form, whether it's an emotional outburst, or it's a joy, or it's tears, or it's brokenness, that's an emotion that's inside of us. And we must learn to love God with the very essence of who we are, an affectionate love with Him. I think you all have known or seen or maybe sadly might be living in those kind of marriage relationships that there's not an emotional connection. There's a physical address and they share it. They share the same name. They share the same children. They're contractually bound together, but emotionally they're not bound together. You know what that is? That's a business relationship, pure and simple. If you're not emotionally connected to your spouse, you're missing the most beautiful and refreshing and energizing part of a relationship. And it comes so it with such furor, with such excitement in the beginning. But if we don't maintain it, it becomes this business relationship. We merely exist together and pay bills together and raise kids together. It becomes so shallow. That's shallow. Let's love our spouse with our heart and with our soul. That's what Jesus is calling it to, to a passionate kind of love. Relationship with Him. But I'm afraid just as we can have a business relationship with our spouse, so we can have the same. So we can have the same with God. And we can get into this mode of, okay, I'm doing this for God, and God ought to be happy with this amount, and this amount of time, and this amount of money, and I'm doing this, and so God ought to be happy with it. But we don't have a passionate, emotional, affectionate love with Him. It becomes sad. It becomes really sad. Because this is what it says in Hosea 6, 6 out of the Living Bible. It says, don't, I don't want your sacrifices. He doesn't want our doing. I want your love. I want your offering. I don't, I don't want your offering. I want you to know me. I want a love relationship with you. Lori and I, have, I've done a lot of traveling the past month. I've been to Africa twice, Christmas season. Lori and I know that when we travel, there's this disconnect. We know that whenever one of us comes back, we have to intentionally get back together. Now, physically, when I picked her up at the airport last night, because I got in before her, and then she came in behind me, and, and I picked her up from the airport, immediately we were physically together again. Immediately I embraced her and kissed her, and we, we went home, and we were physically together as a family, and we were there, and we shared together, and we laughed together. And we, and we, it, but are we emotionally connected? See, now what we'll have to do over the next few days is we realize that we're going to have to spend a lot of time talking and listening, talking and listening, sharing and going deeper. That's that affectionate love. That's how it's nurtured in the home. Well, you know what? It's the same way in our relationship with God. If you're going to be passionate about God, you've got to have time with Him. You've got to pour into Him and allow Him to pour into you. 
Here's a couple other verses. I want you to read them with me. Exodus 34, verse 14. Here it is on the screen. He is a God who is passionate about His relationship with you. Would you read it out loud with me? He is a God who is passionate about His relationship with you. Romans 6.13 Give yourselves completely to God since you have been given new life. Passionate. Completely. Emotionally. Are you passionately in love? Affectionately in love with God? Number two is worship is a focusing of my attention on God. Are you in a business relationship with God? Or are you in an affectionate relationship with God? But also it's going about that. Are you focused? Have you have a focused attention on Him? He is truly focused on you. Again, He initiated the love relationship. And you want to talk about how much He loves you and how much He, he absolutely adores you? Psalms chapter 130, uh, 139 verse 1 and 3 says, You have looked deep in my heart, Lord. You know all about me. You know when I am resting and you know when I am working. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. In this relationship that we speak of with God where He loves us and because He loves us, there ought to be a reciprocal love relationship with Him. Again, loving Him is pleasing Him and pleasing Him is worshiping Him. And so in this reciprocal relationship, the problem is is that because our minds are so set on ourself. We wake up in the day thinking about self. We go to bed and thinking about self. It becomes about self. He says, I want you to love me with your soul. I want you to love me also with your spirit. I want you to love me with your mind. What are your thoughts? How much of your thoughts are given to him? Romans chapter 8, verse 7, out of the message, a good paraphrase, it says this, focusing on yourself is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. Again, Romans 12, 2, out of the message says, don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. We live in a day, we live in a world where it tells you to think about you and to focus on you and it's all about you. And if you don't look out for you, then nobody else will look out for you. Where's our attention? Where's our focus? It should be on the Lord. I think probably one of the most popular rap junkies out there, if you will, is a guy named Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg is one of those guys that you don't want your kids to grow up to be like, all right? He's a pornographer. He's a foul mouth. He's this kind of crazy, out there kind of individual. But he was actually interviewed. I mean, all, all about hedonism. It's all about self for him. He lives for self. He's made money for self. It's living for self. Article interviewing him in USA Today said this, I ain't getting what I want. I'm smiling, but I ain't happy. You know, if you live a life and you have money and you have fame and you have fortune and you have all that kind of stuff, and you can hear from the lips of one who's all about hedonistic living, he says, I'm doing what I, I'm going after it, I'm seeking it, I'm getting what I want, but I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm faking the smile, but I ain't happy. See, the focus, when it becomes about us, it becomes so empty and shallow. But when we can focus our life on Him, it becomes full and complete. Isaiah 26.3 says, 
If you keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, those whose thoughts are fixed on you. The life that we live has got to be a life where we are focusing our attention, our lives on the Lord. A.W. Tozer says it like this, If you will not worship God seven days a week, you will not worship Him on one day a week. This event that we attend, that we call a worship gathering, if this is all there is to your worshiping God, I'm going to speak lovingly but frankly with you right now. Your life is shallow. It's very, very shallow. See, but I can't have a band like this at home, and, and I can't have teaching. And I, I, When I read the Bible, it doesn't... You confused worship with service, sermons, and songs. It's not. It's about a love relationship. Now, all those things add value to that. But it's not that. It's about a love relationship that you have. Where you are madly, passionately in love with Jesus. With your soul and your spirit. Where you... Where you are fixing your mind on Him. Where He becomes your thought processes. He becomes your life 24-7. Psalm 105 verse 7 says, Worship Him continually. Worship Him continually. What does that look like? That means that in my life and in my day, I am constantly thinking of Him. He is constantly on my mind. He's how I do business. He's, how I, he's in my ideas. He's in my dreams. He's in my thoughts. He's in my attention. That's a life of worship. Then, well, guess what happens on Sunday morning? When you've lived a life of worship and you're infectionately in love with Christ and you've been living that out and you've been fixing your attention upon Him and focusing your life upon Him through the week, you come here on Sunday, we can't shut you up. You're going to be so excited to worship. Sometimes, I'll, Jared and I talk afterwards like priming a pump. Man, can we get them excited? I'm not talking about getting them excited. Can, can we get them involved? No, listen, when you live a life of worship, you can't wait to get here to bring your worship. When you live a life of loving Him with your heart and your soul and your mind, continually worshiping Him, we can't hold you back. We can only create an environment and then it comes out. It comes out spontaneously. It comes out regularly. It comes out free-flowing. Number three, worship is using my abilities for God. He says, love me with your heart. Love me with your soul. Love me with your mind, but also love me with your strength. We all have abilities. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you are working for the Lord and not for people. The Romans chapter 12, verse 1, again out of the message, read it with me. Romans 12, 1, it says this. Read it out loud with me. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Take that ordinary day-to-day job, that grind that you can't stand and somehow transform it into an act of worship that when I go to work, I'm going to be worshiping. It doesn't mean you have to go in with your big Bible and be shouting out praises to God, but it's actually in your worth ethic. It's in everything about you to where worship is not a Sunday event that begins at 11 o'clock sharp and ends at... 12 o'clock dull. It is actually something that you're living out because of a love relationship that you have with Him that was instigated by Him, that was started by Him, and you are just responding through an affectionate love, through a focused love, using your mind 
and, and, and even through, through your abilities. You know, somebody told me this early on in, in my, actually it was in my teenage years, when I was struggling with God's call to ministry. And I said, I don't know if God's calling me or not. And he was my pastor, and, and I loved Brother Ben. And he said this, he said, Mike, whatever you do, he says, if you're a ditch digger, be a ditch digger for Jesus. Whatever you do, Mike, just do it as if everything is for him. And I tell you what, if we could go to Walmart tomorrow, if we could go to school tomorrow, if we could go to our supplier's office, if we could go to our, our if we could go wherever we go tomorrow, and if we never even leave the home, if we could get out of bed in the morning, and we could say, God, I have, I have now my awake hours, and here they are before you, God, and I'm giving them to you as an act of worship. My life, my love, my day, my everything belongs to you. I want to give it to you in worship. What a difference that would make. Second Corinthians 5.9 5, says it like this. So we make it our goal to please Him. Can you read that with me, with me too? So we make it our goal to please Him. To love God is our number one purpose in life. If we love God, we will please God. When we please God, we are worshiping God. Do you have a hot-hearted love relationship with God? If you do, we'll see it in your affection. We'll see it in your attention. And we'll see it as you use your abilities for God. How are you offering up yourself? As we take this month and we talk about worship, I want it to be your prayer. Your prayer would be something like this. Here I am to worship. Every morning you'd wake up. Here I am to worship God. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely. You're altogether worthy. You're altogether wonderful to me. Again, what did I say? God started a love relationship with us that deserves a reciprocating relationship of love back to Him. Because when we love Him, we will please Him. When we please Him, we're worshiping Him.